0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special bonus episode of Citizen Dame. And we had a fun time this month because when we put up the poll for our bonus episodes, everything was tied patreon poll the <laughs> twitter poll every single poll keeps and like we were watching it we were just like oh my god it keeps on being tied <laughs> so so we decided that we're gonna do two episodes this month we're gonna do uh the two films that that were running neck and neck constantly and finally wound up being tied um and also they're great films so that that'll be fun so we're gonna start off with bride of frankenstein um which is the fantastic film from 19, 1935 i was almost i almost said 1933 for some reason um i think that's invisible man that's one of james Whale's earlier films um but yeah so Bride of frankenstein is the sequel obviously to the 1931 film frankenstein and in a, a lot of circles it's considered to be the better film actually it's definitely the more polished film um and and it has i think it gets a lot more extreme in a lot of ways which is a bit surprising given that it's a 1935 film um so it's post code, whereas the original film the 31 film is pre-code so they had a lot more flexibility in what they could get away with in the 31 film yet the 35 film i think in a lot of ways is wilder it's stranger it's more like aesthetically defined it's more perverse and and there are a lot of different reasons for that which we will get into in a minute but first of all karen hello how are you i'm good how are you (laughs) i am good i'm excited i love this (laughs) movie because
1: i wasn't sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love this movie so much every time i watch it i'm like oh this is such a good movie why don't movies like this get made anymore (laughs) that is a great question why don't they also this is an hour and like 15 minute film i have yeah. to say that this is yeah. this is not a long horror movie this is very spare in a lot of ways it
1: doesn't waste time it doesn't yeah it it, it doesn't it just gets to the point
0: it doesn't waste a lot of time it does it plunges you right in actually mm-hmm. um so why don't we take a, a page from its book and and plunge right in first of all um i mean i think that most people know the plot of this movie so it takes place literally directly after the events of frankenstein um so the windmill has collapsed like we pick up with the windmill having collapsed that's where the movie begins um the windmill is still smoldering yeah they they think they've killed the monster they think the frankenstein himself is dead the doctor not Mm -hmm. the monster um, and then it turns out that Frankenstein has actually survived, and they carry him back home uh, where his bride is waiting for him, played by Valerie Hobson. And Frankenstein again is played by Colin Clive. Um and then what eventually transpires is that not only was Frankenstein not killed, but the monster was not killed, and the monster is still at large, and he begins moving across the countryside. He's injured, he's scared, he doesn't really know what is happening. Um meanwhile back at castle frankenstein uh frankenstein himself is visited by dr pretorius <laughs> who is not a a character in the first film but shows up uh was used to be at the university where frankenstein went to university and essentially makes a proposal to frankenstein to create life with him right so Pretorius um, claims that he has, he's discovered a way to create life, but his problem is that he can't get size. He can't get a, a he, can't, he can't create a creature big enough, right? He can only create these little homunculus figures. Um, whereas <laughs> really? Frankenstein understands how to create life out of death, right? And so Pretorius wants him to, to kind of, wants them to unite and create a bride, create a woman uh and it's it's wild and bizarre but i wanted to start out with like karen what do you think of this movie i've already said that i love it so i want you to go ahead and talk about what your feelings are about it
1: oh i love it too and i definitely am one of those that feels like this is better than um the than the first one the 1931 film um and one of the reasons is because i feel like this um taps into some of the things I love so much from the book that got completely cut out of the original film like um like this friendship he develops with this blind man in the woods you know and then the whole yeah. concept of, of the bride and giving him a companion that's such a such an important part of the book that you know, had nothing to do with the first movie so it, that's I I the novel is one of my very favorite books ever And so I think why that that's why I love Bride of Frankenstein so much is because it just feels to me, even though it's still very different, even though there's still a lot of major differences, um, it just feels to me like it captures more of the the essence of what makes the novel so great
0: yeah i i definitely agree and in some ways the two films act as a single as a single entity a single adaptation of frankenstein and they they go off book a lot obviously but um but yeah because you get a lot more of that you get elizabeth the importance of elizabeth uh as a character you get um you get the bride you get more of the monster's kind of pathos because in the first film he's very um he, he's mute right he, he can't he can't speak in this film he learns how to speak and i think we'll talk about that in a minute but um but you get more of the fact that he really he really is a victim right he's not monstrous he's not evil he's taught to be monstrous and he's taught to be evil by the way that people treat him but he's not born bad in fact one of the things i really like about Bride of frankenstein is that it shows that he's actually good like he he wants to do good he his initial impulses are all good um the one of the uh, initial scenes with the monster which kind of makes up the middle part of the film um is he frightens a, a, a young woman who falls into a uh, a creek and he jumps in to try to save her and then she begins screaming because she sees him um and he tries to like silence her so he he is this child basically but he's a massive child, he's a frightening child, but he, his immediate impulse is to rescue her, right? His immediate impulse is always to be good and to do good things. And then the way that people react to him is that you're frightening, you're monstrous, you're evil, including his own creator who refuses to even be in the same room with him. Right. Um, and I really like that that of Frankenstein actually goes into that, which is a major element of the novel, that the monster is not born bad. The monster is taught to be bad because he's treated badly in return.
1: Right, yeah. And he's one that, uh, in, the, in the original story, a big part of the reason why he is alone and... Um isolated is because he's rejected by his creator who in senses just based on how creation works is kind of his mother and his father so it's like being rejected by his parents tossed out into the lonely world and what other you know how is he supposed to learn how to um how to navigate society he can't and then he's got this monstrous form and so people are automatically afraid of him and Um, and it's that loneliness and the constant fear that he receives um, that turn him into essentially this monster and I think that this film really does a good job of like you say showing that at his heart he's good and you see that in in things like the scene with the old man um, and this beautiful friendship they have and how much he loves music and he wants to learn he craves knowledge he thirsts for it
0: yeah he wants to learn how to speak he mm-hmm. wants to learn how to express himself um and he embraces and he he shows that he's able to learn that as well he, right. he embraces it he's not um the the first film i think in a lot of ways tr- treats him as this dumb monstrosity right yeah. this walking corpse basically um and, and the second film really goes into the fact that he he's not he's not bad what his problem is that he looks bad the problem is that he looks monstrous mm-hmm. um and that that's what kind of pushes and then he responds in the way that you know he's essentially a very large three-year-old so you know if a very large three-year-old mm-hmm. is always being pushed and he's going to push back right that's the yeah. only thing that he knows what how to do but if he's being treated with kindness then he's going to respond with kindness
1: well, and similar to a toddler, they don't have language yet. And so when they have feelings, whether they're positive or negative, they don't have the language to communicate that. And so for him, for for the monster, when he uh, is sad or scared or just trying to help, he doesn't have a way to communicate that to anybody. So everything he does, because he's big and scary looking, is interpreted as something dangerous and terrifying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, well, I think that this kind of leads leads into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is Karloff's performance in this film. Um, and I don't know if I it was- I love his, that
1: he's credited just as Karloff.
0: <laughs> which which was the style, like in, um, in, like throughout his early career at Universal, that was how he was credited. He was never credited as Boris Karloff. He was credited as Karloff. Like that was what he was, right? Um, And it's really hilarious when you actually know Boris Karloff's background because he's like from London, he's English. He's like this sort of slight, gaunt figure who's like he's not at all terrifying when you actually look at boris <laughs> karloff without all of the makeup and everything You're just like oh you seem like a really nice dude he had a lisp like
1: i mean his the... real name was william henry pratt
0: <laughs> yeah he he's just like he's actually really adorable and uh, it's always funny that like his big roles you know are these these monsters and particularly the monster right um i i mean his I, I don't know if it was just my mood in rewatching this film this time around, but I was really moved by his performance. Um, this particular like instance when I when I was rewatching the film, and I think that that whole sequence with the blind man really is incredibly touching. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is is Karloff's body language because you know the monster for a long time, and he's able to speak a few words throughout the film. But for, for the most part, he speaks in grunts and moans and you know he's been through it, right? He's been treated with nothing but hatred and contempt. He's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been shot, he's been you know tied up. Um, pretty much the only thing that he has experienced his entire life has been hatred. And he comes across this man who can't see him and so who can't react to him in a horrified way. And he learns how he learns what friendship is he learns that there is a different he learns that there's something else other than hatred out there um and and that really influences even his reactions to everything that happens throughout the rest of the film even though ultimately you know he he is driven away from the blind man's house as well so i don't know what your what are your thoughts on that um
1: yeah i i agree with you i i think that Um, the hum, the humanity, and this is, I feel like I've been using that word so much (laughs) recently, just in general, like looking for the humanity in people, I guess it's something I'm just trying to do better about, but, um, but yeah, it's really, it's really beautifully, um, shown here. Uh, I think one of the things that stood out to me this time was, and it's been a while since I've watched it and I'm sure I have not watched it nearly as many times as you have, um but i guess it was sort of a mandela effect thing i i don't know if i ever really paid that much attention to how little you actually see the bride in the bride of frankenstein
0: oh yeah no she's yeah. she's in like one scene and she's there for maybe yeah. 3 minutes yeah
1: <laughs> she's there for like the final 3 or 4 yeah. minutes of the entire movie and it's one of those things where i i kind of had forgotten that <laughs> that she Is barely in it and that she's like her existence or her creation is a very important plot point but it's not but she is not the main point of the film
0: yeah the main point of the film is is the monster really and it's it's this kind of dual dual narrative where you have um frankenstein and pretorius and the monsters sequence and they inform on each other and i'm The structure of this film is really interesting because you do get so basically you have this opening first you have the frame story which i want to talk about in a minute right Mm -hmm. but then you have this opening that picks up right where the last film ended um that kind of you know shows everything it's like okay frankenstein actually survived the monster actually survived we're going to introduce pretorius we're going to introduce kind of all of the stakes of the film and then you leave that completely and go to the monster for a large section of the film that middle part is goes on for a while Mm -hmm. um and then the other part of the narrative with pretorius and Frankenstein gets woven back in when pretorius goes and and finds the monster um in the crypt and it's very weird because it's almost two different films like the tones are different the performances are different the only thing that really unites them is this this aesthetic this very gothic very expressionist very extreme aesthetic and the fact that this is a frankenstein movie you know um yeah but yeah in terms of uh in terms of the bride i i do love the fact that she really does only show up for three minutes Mm -hmm. and she's so iconic Yeah, like we know, she's as iconic as the Frankenstein monster. Like we know that we know the hair, we know the hiss. Uh (laughs) You know, she doesn't say anything. She has no lines. She has screams and hisses. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, and that's it. And then, just like all men, he gets rejected and decides it's time to die. (laughs) And decides just burn everything down. just gonna
0: burn it all to the ground well i need to kind of go like in that last sequence it's sort of like okay these men have obviously learned nothing about how to deal <laughs> with you know creating life because you literally just created this this brand new human being right who has just come to life with a brand new brain and you don't ease her into existence at all no. Like, it's not... Like, of course she's terrified. She's terrified of everything. Mm. Like, it's she's basically a newborn. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, but, but he didn't want... To, Frankenstein didn't want to do this anyway because yeah. he's so horrified by his previous creation. But he's kind of forced into it because Elizabeth gets taken and he knows that's the only way he can get her back alive. So he doesn't want to do it. And... When he kind of is forced to, he's not like, well, all right, we're going to do this one the smart way. He's, yeah. (laughs) He's, he's
0: for a doctor he's not very (laughs) bright well and he gets sucked into it too i mean by the time he's at the point where they're actually creating her right Mm -hmm. he really is like he he's a full participant it's no longer just about you know what pretorius is telling him to do or the fact that elizabeth is in danger that's that's a lot of the tension for frankenstein throughout the entire film is that he wants to do this but he's terrified of it yeah with good reason because you know it has caused many problems for him and for the world and is not a nice thing to do <laughs> um oh what else did i want to talk about oh well I, I think in a minute i want to really want to talk about satires of, of the film because both the blind man and the bride of frankenstein are so satirized in a lot of ways but before we do that i i think it, it's interesting to kind of address the fact that this is a frame story
1: Mm-hmm.
0: um there is actually unlike in the first frankenstein which just begins as you know this is this is the story of frankenstein um this actually has an opening with uh, mary shelley and um percy shelley and lord byron in which mary shelley begins telling the sequel literally she says oh there's more to the story
1: mm-hmm.
0: um to frankenstein and it's it's something that gets ignored a lot i think in discussions of Bride of frankenstein because it's so odd <laughs> yeah. there's so much that is odd about this film and because it's never closed off we never go back to mary shelley and percy shelley and lord byron the the story just keeps on going in some ways so there there's never this ending where it's just like and that's the end of the story of frankenstein <laughs> um right. And then of course you've got that odd double casting fact of elsa uh elsa lanchester playing both mary shelley and the bride eventually Mm -hmm. um which has all kinds of interesting implications i think but um i don't know what do you think that the frame narrative
1: works does it not work here's what i find interesting about it um because like we were talking about because the first movie very so like it it distances itself so much from the book it's really like he doesn't die in a windmill at the end of the book you know <laughs> and so so it's funny because it's like it's it's basically putting mary shelley into the middle of the story and pretending like the first movie followed her story truthfully <laughs> when it didn't yeah so yeah so it's just kind of an interesting. Um, choice, I I do think it's weird that it doesn't get closed off, but I don't know. There's something about it I kind of like as a as as a way to introduce the fact that uh, the monster didn't actually die. I kind of like hearing from the author. Oh, but you didn't hear the whole story. So so in that
0: aspect, I'd say yeah, it works. Yeah, it, it sets up that kind of fairy tale aspect. I think this yeah. that that bride of frankenstein has more so than frankenstein that this is a time that is being invented basically this isn't reality in some way this is a story that's being told and it kind of eases the viewer into that because one of the weird things is that now i looked this up supposedly bride of frankenstein is set in 1899 i cannot for the life of me find any confirmation of that fact um because there i know that in the first film i believe that there are cars and cars were not ubiquitous in the alps in 1899 um so my and the the styles are very bizarre so you've got a lot of different styles like elizabeth is basically dressed in pretty common 1930s style um victor or uh, henry is dressed in sort of middle middle range he's kind of the english squire almost again this is all supposed to be taking place in the alps Right. um and then you have pretorius and some of the villagers who are dressed in much more 19th century style so it's this really weird mishmash
1: well and also i mean mary shelley died in the 1850s
0: so. yeah well and that's <laughs> the other thing that then even if you're saying okay it's set in 1899 which i don't completely buy i think it's set in the 1930s especially when you take into account son of frankenstein <laughs> which is the third part of the story mm-hmm. <laughs> but but you watch it, you're like okay so wait a minute so this is mary shelley in like the early 19th century right yeah thinking about something that's happening at least 50 if not a hundred years in the future <laughs> and that yeah. this is her conception of what the future looks like <laughs> right and it's wild it's really wild when you when you sit down and like actually parse it out logically
1: mm-hmm <laughs> um you can't you can't think too like i mean luckily viewers in 1935 didn't have wikipedia (laughs) but but honestly
0: i think that's something that makes it work like that's one of the things i really like about it is that it is bizarre and it it kind of conditions you to expect some of this bizarreness because it is just it seems so detached from reality
1: yeah it kind of creates its own like place in in time
0: because it doesn't
1: it doesn't strictly follow
0: our actual timeline yeah exactly it's um it's strange and i think that it also sets up this 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 gothic nature of what we're about to see the you know and both frankenstein and bride of frankenstein and most of james Whale's films are really informed by this kind of heightened melodrama um and the the gothic nature of of german romanticism of german expressionism you know he uses a lot of um a lot of shadows a lot of canted angles a lot of sort of bizarre um chiaroscuro uh and a lot of just strange strange approaches to filming right that kind of make you feel like everything is a little bit off kilter everything is a little weird um you know a good example even is just when you uh when we get frankenstein into his bedroom right at his castle and it's just the most ornate bedroom you have ever seen no one sleeps in beds like that no one not even in the late 19th century in the in the alps like there's just that kind of style doesn't exist in reality um but it exists in this world and then you've got my personal favorite character who is just the most delightful creation and i don't know where he came from or where he went um dr pretorius (laughs) yep played by the always delightful um ernest uh, thesiger who did not have a very long career but is really wonderful in a number of james wales films he's great in bride of Frankenstein, and he is hilarious frankly in the old dark house Mm-hmm. um which in some ways i think is like a sister film to bride of frankenstein
1: yeah
0: and he is he's from another fucking planet <laughs> i mean he shows up and he introduces uh this moral complexity he introduces a lot of humor and a lot of camp and a lot of queerness and that's something i want to talk about right now so karen I have said numerous times, this is a really queer movie. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a few ways. And I think I think there's sort of this... Um, and, I mean, maybe this is unintentional. Maybe this is just reading it from a 21st century point of view. But, you know, like, just the, the dynamic between frankenstein and pretorius is sort of this like they're creating life together and there's just kind of this uh i don't know there's just kind of this interesting element there to me
0: well i I think that is really deliberate yeah um and i think it teases out the kind of conception of the frankenstein story to begin with which is this whole thing about like oh we're i am going to play god i'm going to create life and it's like well wait a minute we can create life like that's something that human beings are capable of doing Mm -hmm. through you know natural reproduction that's what human beings do right (laughs) so so it is it does turn into this like masculine thing of a man or in this case two men creating life out of out of nothing right Mm -hmm. so not uh, out of the natural order yeah what i find fascinating about pretorius and this is something that i noticed this time around that i hadn't really paid attention to um in his first kind of scene with frankenstein he he describes right the fact that he has been able to create life yeah. and he says that he did it in the natural way oh yeah that's right he says from a seed and he grew his creations, right? So Frankenstein has taken th- these pieces of dead bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And sewn them together and put a brain in them and created life that way. Pretorius is claiming that he grew his creations. The question that immediately jumped to my mind was, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah. Because he's, he's making this claim of like, he's literally growing human beings, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> that is a great question (laughs) in this context and of course it's never explained we never see his process at all like we see frankenstein's process as crazy as it is Mm -hmm. but we never see what pretorius has been up to (laughs) yeah
1: well he's he's also just such a flamboyant character too and and just so fun yeah um, because he's very just very comfortable with who he is and and not um not aware of or at least choosing not to care if he's being judged by anybody else either
0: and i love that yeah he really embraces the mad scientist basically uh-huh. yeah he yeah. he's very like and in fact he says a few things to frankenstein a number of times that actually are true you know he says at one point you know you know that you're responsible for these murders right um he, so he kind of acts as this not moral voice necessarily but this kind of voice of of reality and that all of these things that frankenstein has been trying to deny and suppress in himself and and say that it doesn't exist you know he even says i want to forget all of this Mm -hmm. and pretorius is essentially saying like you can't because you've done this you've created this this creature you are responsible for it you are responsible for everything that you've done yeah. and and of course pretorius's goal is and i want i want you to make more of them <laughs> <laughs> but what pretorius is saying is very true like frankenstein is trying to deny this part of himself and pretorius is essentially like but you can't because yeah, this you have is to embrace it yeah and i i do think that that's where a, a lot of the queer reading comes in is that mm-hmm. you've got these two men who are saying that together they're going to create a perfect human being um and then you also have all of these elements about frankenstein literally leaving his wife on her wedding night yeah to make new human beings with another man (laughs) yes Yes, exactly (laughs) so you can't get much queerer than that Uh, and of course i mean james if you know the career of james whale james whale made a lot of films that were like this he used a lot of camp um the old dark house is is a great example of that sort of perverse campiness and it's it's the way that you kind of get a lot of queer readings into cinema in a time obviously when you could not explicitly represent people as being gay Mm -hmm. um and and particularly Thesiger is sort of the, the repository of all of that because he's so he has to be evil right you have to make him evil because otherwise he won't be acceptable but he's so delightful and flamboyant and entertaining that you love it when he shows up and you're really sad to see him go yeah and yeah i i don't know i just i i love pretorius he he is such a delightful addition to the entire story because the rest of the story would be kind of depressing really if he wasn't around Mm -hmm. yeah it's true it would uh so what else did we want to talk about um was there anything that that struck you on rewatching this I, obviously you know i'm i've said i've seen this movie millions of times um and even now like rewatching it i was like huh i never really thought about that mm-hmm. um so was, was there anything that struck you on rewatching it that you were very much like oh i didn't really pay attention to that or i didn't notice that before
1: um i think i mean i i kind of already was talking about that just as far as um just the the way that it ties in better, I think, more more faithfully, I guess, to the intention of, of Shelley's book. Um, but as far as, as um, story elements, um, I think I just really, I, I don't know, I had an interesting... I don't remember really noticing that much about, which I don't know why, because it's kind of important, but like the couple in the beginning, the, they were the parents of the little girl that he had drowned in the first book. Yeah. I mean, the first movie. And they go, and because they want proof that he's dead. They want to know that he died. And the way that, um, accidentally, the father dies. Um, <laughs> but then he ends up saving the mother. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, that just stuck out to me a little bit more this time. It's sort of this interesting like bookend to the story from the first movie i guess
0: yeah it it reminds us that this is a sequel and this is unusual the idea of a sequel picking up literally right where the last one left off
1: Mm -hmm. um
0: is is very unusual for this time period when there were sequels very very often it was like oh you remember back when this happened right um you know actually being like oh by the way you thought that everyone was dead at the end of frankenstein well here's the truth you know and what just, actually yeah, happened they
1: survived but here's how they
0: survived yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then the the only other one that i think fits into a, something similar is dracula's daughter which um is was made i think at 30 yes 36 um and it, it has a similar thing in that it, it literally picks up right at the end of dracula um and and in fact Van Helsing gets arrested for murder (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I just find hilarious um because he's like walking out of the castle and and they're just like we're gonna arrest you for murder because like all these people are dead and he's like no it wasn't me it was a vampire (laughs)
1: yeah I haven't actually watched that one I need to
0: uh Dracula's daughter is is again very weird um very queer (laughs) nice
1: I love I love i love that from especially those 30s
0: like yeah love it yeah the the universal monsters sequels are sometimes terrible and sometimes like actually bizarrely wonderful Mm -hmm. um and and i think dracula's daughter and and brighter frankenstein definitely fall into that and i i also happen to love son of frankenstein which takes place um a good bit after uh after the events of frankenstein um. Yeah. after the events of bride of frankenstein because his son has grown up and he's basil rathbone uh, <laughs> and but again that that kind of extreme es- aesthetic that sort of and that that goes into this sort of idea of generational madness generational trauma um and and the sort of treatment of the monster as his brother uh as someone that he's actually related to because they were both created by the same father which is yeah all kinds there's a lot of freudian shit that goes into this stuff <laughs> it's just like um it's great one of the characters i did want to mention really quickly just because she's delightful and i have now seeing her in a number of films because she's it she keeps on showing up in these universal monster movies is uno o'connor as Minnie, the uh who, whose mm-hmm. primary function is to be very cockney and to scream a lot <laughs> uh but i just think she's hilarious she always like I, I love it when Pretorius comes to the door, and she's like Pretorius, Pretorius, <laughs> Doctor Pretorius, and it's so nonsensical. Like, why are you this fascinated by this man's name? But okay, I mean, it's a
1: pretty great name. I like saying it over and over again. Pretorius,
0: Pretorius, Pretorius. <laughs> yeah, she she's she's great. <laughs> like everything that she does is great. Mhm. Oh, awesome uh so finally i i think that you know maybe we want to talk about the the fact that this is so iconic we talked about how the bride is so iconic but in some ways it's almost hard to watch bride of frankenstein because we've all seen young frankenstein <laughs> yeah and young frankenstein takes more from both bride and son of frankenstein i think than anything else like it doesn't really take that much from the original film it takes a lot from the sequels
1: which i think is part of what helped bride of frankenstein become the more iconic movie because it's the one that is more heavily borrowed from
0: well, yeah, and that that imagery of of Elsa Lanchester as um as the bride with the hair and the hissing mm-hmm. and and everything. Apparently, she was actually she decided that she would emulate a swan, so the hiss that she does is is her emulation of a of a swan's hiss.
1: Huh. Interesting.
0: Um. So she has all these bird like movements. If you watch her performance, she's kind of jerking around a lot. Like mm-hmm. whereas the monster kind of lumbers. Right. Yeah. The bride sort of jerks and kind of looks around really rapidly and moves really rapidly and suddenly so it's very bird-like
1: and she has kind of this this scary stare too sometimes yes so yeah mm-hmm. she's just like warm. swans are beautiful but they are terrifying <laughs> <laughs> i got exactly. by one once it was
0: not fun <laughs> exactly (laughs) swans are frightening creatures they are assholes too they're absolute jerks um yeah so i i think in some ways young frankenstein has kind of spoiled bride of frankenstein in a lot of ways i don't want to quite say spoiled because i love those films so much yeah but so much of the imagery that comes from bride of frankenstein is there like frau blucher's uh character is very much mini Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. the way that she dresses all of that stuff uh elizabeth like uh, madeline Kahn's performance as elizabeth is very much drawn from valerie hobson's
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh do we do we want to talk about valerie hobson who's just kind of injected there as like the damsel in distress <laughs> and she's actually a great actress she was quite like popular in this period but mm-hmm. she's a sort of like what is happening here
1: yeah i i mean i don't know what else to say besides that but <laughs>
0: well that's where i i think that's where you get this kind of injection of modernity that mm-hmm. she's kind of that's sort of what she's of. she's she's the actual bride of frankenstein right um just to point that out
1: <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. which i mean really if we if we just just step back from that it's like well actually the the real bride of frankenstein in the movie is not not the monster's bride that they create that's in the last 3 minutes but sh- it's it's uh, Elizabeth's kidnapping that mm-hmm. is the in- impetus for the story so like she's actually very central to the plot she's the one who when they think Victor's dead or sorry Henry in the movie um when they think henry's dead and they bring him home like she's there and she's the the grieving you know would be widow and then discovers that he's still alive and um like for her that's that's great but it leads to all kinds of other trouble and then at the very end when the monster decides that he needs to die he lets frankenstein and his bride go mm-hmm
0: yeah and and that moment is so wonderful because you know the poor monster has been rejected by everybody Mm -hmm. um you do kind of want to be like dude give her a little bit of space (laughs) like like give her a (laughs) chance here she just woke up (laughs) um but but yeah that that he ultimately is like no we 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 are supposed to be dead we belong dead you go out and live and and so it's interesting to see the monster's sacrifices ultimately for his creator yeah and for someone who has rejected him completely yeah
1: it's a sacrifice for someone who does not deserve the grace of that act at all yeah and it's one of those things and this this touches back on on more of of who the monster is in the story in the in the original novel um he's a lot more aware he's not this monster that's incapable of of thought and understanding he's actually very much capable of that and and it's fun to joke that like oh he gets rejected and decides to burn everything down like that's that's fun to joke about but that's really not what's happening at the end of the film here this is someone who after all is said and done he understands that he was born from death and that there really isn't a place for either of them in the world and that that letting them, himself and her go um, is the right thing for the sake of this young couple to go off mm-hmm. and live their lives.
0: Yeah. And, and he's also come to understand love. He's come to understand yeah. friendship. He knows what that feels like. Yeah. Um, and he knows what that means. And he sees that in the future of of his own creator who has refused to love him. Right. And, and then ultimately, yeah, makes that choice. And it, it feeds into this uh, interpretation and view of the monster as being very identified with christian iconography um he's you know when when the villagers first truss him up he's trussed up in kind of a cross shape um he stumbles through all of these graveyards he not I, I always find it interesting that he knocks over a statue of a bishop um but doesn't knock over any of the crosses or crucifixes as he goes yeah. along and he so he's very much treated as this this suffer the sufferer right um and in fact there's there's a sense one part of the film was censored and it was something that whale actually had to take out that was um the monster actually falling at the feet of a, a crucifix with christ on the cross and recognizing in christ a fellow sufferer and this was a scene that like they made him cut for fairly obvious reasons but it was this deliberate identification of the monster with christ and of the monster with christian suffering and that ultimately he chooses to sacrifice himself and so that the people who are capable of creating life can continue to survive so it it feeds into some really interesting elements i think in the film yeah so i think that that could probably close this out do you have any last thoughts about bride of frankenstein
1: um just that i love it and it's great and it's available (laughs) on peacock and soon on the criterion channel yes yeah
0: yes yes and definitely like if you seriously if you haven't seen it even though we've just told you the entire plot um if you haven't seen it please go see brighter frankenstein it's such a good film and it's literally it's an hour and 15 minutes like it's not that much time yeah and it's It's two episodes of ted lasso come on yeah
1: yeah. and it's (laughs) really well not this season um (laughs) but uh it's just really it's beautiful and honestly like the the black and white cinematography i mean obviously it was the 30s so most things were black and white then but um i don't know there's just this like christmas to it too it just it really holds up well it still looks beautiful
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a gorgeous film it's yeah. it's gorgeously shot and um whale really was a, a great director for for that kind of um that kind of imagery and and that combination of humor and empathy and pathos is is just so well done in this film mm-hmm. yeah. um yes i i agree go check out bride of frankenstein and if you have not seen the original frankenstein also check that out and then if you can watch son of frankenstein after that things get stranger and stranger but uh but definitely those three those three films i think are really good all in their own ways yeah so i think that will close us out for this bonus episode of citizen dame of course uh thank you so much to our patrons thank you guys for listening thank you guys for voting and uh we will talk to you all later bye
1: She's alive,
0: alive!